Welcome to episode 199 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. And Eno, what color is the dress? <laughs> I don't give a crap. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could care less. <laughs> However, I don't... It's white and gold. I mean... Really? You just see, you see white and gold? I see... I, I only see blue. I uh, see yeah. blue and black. So did my girlfriend. I saw flat out white and gold. I could see like a bluish hue on the white, but I wasn't seeing anything but pure gold on the darker part. So that was weird. Obviously, if you haven't been on the internet in a while, you don't know what we're talking about. But if you've been anywhere on the internet in the last, what, 12... No, more than that, like 18 hours, then you have you know exactly what, what we're talking about here. Um, we do have some baseball news to talk about, though, that is a little bit more important than the dress. And honestly, between that and the llamas on Thursday, it's like, wow, how slow is the sports calendar right now that these two things are getting so much run? Thank God baseball is finally kicking into high gear, and obviously – Guys, teams are reporting. I think every team might have already reported by now, at least with pitchers and catchers. We'll get all the f- players going. Games will start soon. You and I are going to be Arizona in a week. It's going to be awesome. We do have some down news, though. For the house. What's that? I bought some beer for the house. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm, I know that you are the beer guy, so the, <laughs> they're going to be off off the wall and, and beers I've never heard of, of course. And uh, I'll, I'll be. It'll be interesting to watch y'all nerd out on beer, and I, I mean that uh, in in a nice way. I I, I I like how much y'all care about beer. <laughs> I, I wonder, I wonder what the cross section is. I, I of of the uh, beer listeners and the and the baseball listeners on this podcast in particular. But I brought um, a bunch of almanac sours, blueberry. Um, I, I bought a, a raspberry sour from Cascade. I got a dark sour from Anchorage. I've got uh, some Drake's double IPAs, and I've got a grapefruit IPA, grapefruit Sculpin from from Ballast Point. So, See, literally never heard of any of those. Anyone. Literally had never heard of any of those. <laughs> but you know what? Can't wait to see what it's like. It's gonna be great. Uh, all right, let's talk some some down news. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the downside of, of baseball kicking in the high gear is that a lot of the news that starts coming out is injury related. And we're gonna start with Adam Wainwright. He's got an ab injury that now puts opening day in doubt. The 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 camps are kind of mixed on him as it was already. Whereas some are are fine with him and still kind of drafting him as an ace. But the majority, I think, was kind of downing him, getting worried about uh, the injury. Obviously, there was the the elbow that bothered him during the playoffs. I fall in the latter camp. I, I have been dropping him. I am concerned. I'm concerned that without the volume, he can't be an ace because the strikeout rate has fallen. I don't necessarily see it coming back up. So he's not logging 220 innings. He's not going to get enough strikeouts because even last year, he got 179, which is a solid number, but he needed 227 innings to do it. So I'm a bit down on Wainwright. How are you feeling about him right now with the added news that that opening day could be in doubt with this ab issue? I mean, I, I was... I've been sort of out on him anyway. Yeah. And, you know, it just has to do with somewhat of, you know, how he finished. You know, there there are, you know, actual sort of on-the-field issues with the strikeout rate being the worst in five years. 
and his, his ground ball rate being the worst in five years. And I know that the overall stats were still amazing for him. Sure. But, you know, I don't really want to pay for last year's stats going forward. I never, you know, and he did have 2012 where he had a 394 ERA. That did exist, and that wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. And that was off the Tommy, John, but but absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was there. Yeah, and – you know, just the, the, the health issues are starting to, uh, to build up, and he's 33. So I think sometime soon we're going to see a, a much more human se- uh, season from him, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it's going to start this year. Yeah, Steamer's got him down for 173 innings of a 339 ERA and 117 whip, which is perfectly fine, but it's not Wainwright level, and, and he's still being treated and drafted as, as vintage Wainwright. You know, he's a 12th starter off the board, 54th pick in NFBC, and I can't take Wainwright at that cost, so I, I, I'm, I'm simply not going to do it. Another big injury, uh, or not, not, I shouldn't say big because he's more of a sleeper coming in, but it really bummed me out. Uh, the Blue Jays lose Michael Saunders to a sprinkler. Uh, he apparently tripped over it or stumbled over it or something, and, and he ripped his knee up, and now he's going to be out till the All-Star break. And that's, that's really unfortunate. This is a guy who, you know, he's always shown kind of that power-speed combo. But uh, it never really put it all together. He did have that one 19 home or 21 steal season back in 2012 for the, for the Mariners. But I still think Saunders had another level to reach. And moving him into a ballpark like this, I thought was going to be really great for him, particularly with that lineup, too. It could really improve the counting stats. I was excited for him. I already have him in one league that's going to play out. So that's a bit of a bummer. How do you feel about the two guys that, that take the biggest boost? And, and the biggest boost, we talked about it before we started, Pompey, Dalton Pompey is going to – sleeper status completely gone. It was already teetering, but now it, it will be completely gone. And if he does anything in spring, he could easily move up as one of the fastest risers and most overrated guys. The other guy, though, a little bit more uh, off the radar is Kevin Pillar. And he's going to be – he's slotted in right now in the left field slot according to roster resource – has a little bit of kind of the power speed to him uh, as well. H- haven't seen too much from him in the major leagues just yet, but I'm kind of intrigued. How do you feel about these two guys first with Pompey and then Pilar? Well, you know, Pompey is, is more of an actual, you know, what you call quote unquote prospect. He's 22. Mm-hmm. Kylie gave him a 50 future value. Um, with a 60 grade for his speed, a, a possible 60 grade for his field, and uh, a 50 grade for his hit. So, you know, he thinks that eventually this is a guy who can hit for a good batting average, uh, even though he hasn't quite done that up and down his minor league career. And, um, you know, field well, have some speed. You know, he's projected by Steamer into a 230, 240 type average, seven homers, 20 stolen bases. You have to think that. Played appearance is going to go up. Uh, our depth charts are going to be uh, updated shortly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll look more like 10, 1030, you know, 1025 with an iffy batting average. With a, you know, 16% swing strike rate. I know it was only 43 played appearances, but that's a lot of swing and miss. And that's the sort of stat that I look at in small samples. So I'm a little worried that, you know, he's not necessarily going to regress to like a 20% strikeout rate and maybe more of a, you know, quarter, 24, 25% guy, which means that he'll earn, you know, a 230, 240 average. But um, if you are in a deep league, he's obviously very exciting as long as, you know, the hype doesn't go nuts around him. Yeah. You know what I like about Pompey is that he's been he's shown the propensity to draw a walk. 
And I like that from a Steelers guy, obviously, because if you can kind of mask some of that uh, batting average deficiency and it, like you said, he hasn't shown it all the way up and down the, the minors, but it's in there. But it's still tough when you hit the ground uh, running in, in the majors to, to kind of come out and, and be a big time hitter right away because he's never had a huge hit tool. So I can see it still struggling maybe in the 250s area. But if you're drawing walks and you got a 325, 330 on base, doesn't sound like a ton. But again, it's the environment that we're in today because he's he's drawn walks at about a 10 percent clip. That could be huge. He did it at 9.3% last year. I know we talked small sample, so he's four in his 43 plate appearances. But I like that aspect of Pompey a but lot. He logged in the minors too, so. Yeah, he, he again, that, that's not, I'm not basing this on the 43 plate appearances. It's carrying over from what he did in the minors. Uh, and, and we saw it in, in a small sample in, in Arizona Fall League too. You know, only 81 plate appearances, but had a handful of walks, 14%. And I just I, I like that aspect of him. That makes me more confident when you look at some of the other primary base dealers like Ben Revere and Billy Hamilton. They don't they don't take walks, you know, and then that, that makes them tough because if they go in any sort of hit slump, they're not going to get on base. And in the old adage, you can't steal first comes into play. So I like that about Pompey. But talk to me about Pilar. Do you know anything about him? I know you mentioned uh, obviously Pompey is the bigger prospect, but Pilar is only 26. He's gotten a couple hundred plate appearances the last couple years combined. Um, looks like there could be maybe a little bit of something there. Nothing crazy, but I, like I said, I'm kind of interested in him. Well, the one thing is that he, he's shown some power the last couple of years in AAA, but you really have to discount his numbers the last couple of years in AAA because He's been 26 and 25 and, and just been generally older mm -hmm. than the, the guys around him. So um, even at 24 in 2013, I think he was he was older than 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 usual. So what we've got is a guy that kind of hung around, did some interesting things, made some made some good contact for a couple of years and then kind of switched over to more of a power um, power hitting, you know, strikeout kind of approach. Uh, but just you just have to use his age to discount all those numbers. And so I doubt that he's got much more power than he showed. I wouldn't dream too much on the near 200 ISOs that he had in AAA for the Blue Jays. And then, you know, on top of that, he's a right-handed hitter. So I think that they'll, what they would like to do is have him as, a, as the right-handed part of a platoon back up sort of uh, can play his glove plays at every at every position in the outfield so I think you know if they're looking for anything they're looking for a sort of a left-handed bat I think it's a little bit harder to pry right-handed bats out of, out of people's hands at this point because they they fulfill such an important role in a roster right mm -hmm. now yeah uh, he, he he raked lefties coming up like in the minors and again you yeah. talk about he was pretty much at or, or above kind of the median age for his level there. So you got to discount that a little bit, but a 944 OPS against lefties, that, that was his thing. So he's looking more like a short side platoon guy if they find the right bat. But if not, he, he should get the opportunities. Uh, we haven't seen him do much against righties yet. He can improve that to more of like a 583 so far against righties in, in his major league career. But if Pilar can be more of like a, I don't know, 650 even would be passable at least. It's not good, but it would be passable if he was hitting lefties very well. Only done a 739 so far in the majors. So again, it, I'm not saying when I say I like him a little bit, I'm talking AL only. I'm talking as that, that as that sleeper guy, that that last guy in your outfield. Nothing crazy. I don't think mixed league viability is there. 
or you certainly don't have to draft him. If you do want him in a mixed league, wait to see if he does something and then maybe go out and get him. But I wouldn't necessarily go out and, and spend the dollar even on, on him in a, in a 12 team mixer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He might be able to put you some sort of David Murphy esque um, season to get a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, not the most uh, upsetting uh, batting average. There's just, there's not really anything else going on in that outfield. I mean, Steve Tolson, you know, has all the same problems. Exactly. You know, and so does Valencia. And 31. And, uh, and, and Chris Colabello is 30. What? Million. Two, three, one. Yeah. So, you know, these are guys that uh, haven't figured it out. And, um, you know, you know, who could be the guy there if he's healthy, if he proves healthy, Andy, Andy Dirks, guy they scooped up off waivers from Detroit. He's a left-handed and, bat. They have Caleb Gindle and Chris Dickerson as well. I would rank them in that order. Dirks, Gindle, Dickerson. One of them could make the club bumping. I don't love Gindle's swing. He's got, he's got a kind of a crazy swing. Uh, but I like, I like that you brought up Dirks because he's actually, I would say the leader if he's healthy, and that's Definitely. the big question because he had offseason back surgery. But as a left-hander, I think he fits really well with Pilar. And in you know when he was going well for the Tigers, he was doing it in uh, in a platoon role. Yes. So Agreed. between the between the two of them, they should probably you know be able to manage even maybe a league average outfielder, maybe even a league average corner outfielder because. You know, Dirks has a little bit of power, a little bit of patience, little, very much like Pilar, and they would be getting the most out of them in each situation. But and Pilar could carry, could, could, could excuse me, could carry the D uh, as well if you're smashing the two together to be a league right. average guy. Uh, sticking with the Jays, they also signed Johan Santana, and you know, I'm always going to love this guy until he finally hangs it up. So I, I would love there to be something here, but I, I don't hold my breath. Do you see anything, any potential here? I mean, is he going to be, is he going to, is he trying to come back as a starter? Is he maybe going to go back to the bullpen? What do you think with Santana here? Any hope of, of a, uh, of a last gas here? I mean, I, I'm forever indebted to him because we no longer have to hear about how the Mets don't have. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Mets don't have a, uh, a, a, a no hitter. hitter. So that was, and he, he gave us some really good years, and that was, that was nice of him. Um, the when it comes to him making the team, I think that you know, with Aaron Sanchez probably in the lead for the fifth spot, mm-hmm. I think that makes Brett Cecil in the lead for the closer role, and I think that means that Aaron Loop is the only other lefty. I'm sort of searching That's through correct. the team. By roster resource, that, that that is correct. Now, the the one thing though, before you go too far that, down that road, is the Roto uh, Roto World report that I'd seen suggested that he it's highly unlikely that he would be ready by opening day anyway. Okay, well, uh, I think that you know I like Aaron Loop is is a decent pitcher actually, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't think that um, he'll upset him for the sort of lefty loogie set, setup. He might he might be the loogie because I think that Loop might be a, a setup guy. Okay. Uh, so you know how in, in San Francisco they have Javier Lopez and Jeremy Affeld. Yes. Jeremy Affeld is more of the you know eighth inning matchups guy whereas Lopez is more of the sixth, seventh inning loogie type guy. And um, at the very least, Johan should you know could could sneak in there in six seven in the six seventh inning. I mean, Steve Delabar has like all sorts of plates in his elbow and shoulder, and you know, not a great idea of where the ball's going. Marco Estrada is pretty homer prone. Uh, Todd Redmond is is kind of a roogie. 
sometimes. If I told uh, you, if I if I if I said we're in like a 12-team AL only and super deep here and like 10 reserve spots, so we are scraping. Score sheet, score sheet has loogies. Score sheet would need lefties. Who who would you take on uh for for a potential loogie role here? Johan Santana or Ricky Romero? Santana. I think that's I'll the right answer, my, which is great. My... And I love, <laughs> I love Ricky Romero. I've really loved him uh, <laughs> when he was pitching well. Obviously, it has it has fallen apart spectacularly. And he's actually a, a reverse platoon split guy anyway, so he wouldn't really work in, in a loogie Yeah, role. actually, Santana, you know, Santana's best pitch is a changeup, so I'm not sure if he's best suited for loogie role anyway. But I would, I, you know, when you're, when you're talking about stuff like that, just be sentimental. Have some fun. It's, it's yeah, you know, no, it's, I, it's baseball. You know? I'm gonna be pulling for him. And if I am in a league like uh, some deep league like that where he becomes a viable option, I'll take the shot. I don't care if he's my first cut. That you know, I'll know by tax day if if there's a chance of him really doing anything. They said that continuing with that report that I told you where it said he's not likely to be ready for opening day. They are still viewing him as a starter and think that it, if it all goes well, that he could probably join the club in mid-April at some point. So that, that's where we are with Santana. Let's pull for him, though, because he's just he's awesome, and, and he was so amazing, and I loved it. Uh, sticking with the Jays, very Jays heavy, heavy news here. Uh, this one's a little bit more tangentially related to them because it's not something they did, but it's something that somebody else did. John Papelbon said that he would waive his no-trade clause to go be part of the Jays. Um, if I'm a Toronto fan, I'm like, no, that's okay. You don't have to waive anything. We're good. But uh, how do you feel about this? Because I personally feel Brett Cecil can handle the job and, and excel. So I don't think they need him. But the whole proven closer thing, t- Toronto might believe that they need Pavel Bond. How, how, do you, how do you see this playing out? It's probably all about the money and, you know, how much money they want to take out and what sort of process they want to put in. As much as I don't think they need Pavel Bond as the closer, I do think I see some – iffy home run rates and if he projected FIPs and some iffy sure it wouldn't hurt to get him no 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 I'm just talking from a fantasy standpoint because I love Cecil and I think he could be a beast in, the, in yeah. that role that's my only downside uh, if you're talking about you know as much as I dislike Pavel Bond he's not a terrible pitcher and if you're talking about can it help this ball club absolutely because there, there there is some sketchiness in that bullpen there's upside to some of these guys like a loop and even a Delabar um, but there is some definite definite downside too, and it, as you said, it goes to the home run rates. Marco Estrada, uh, Delabar had problem with home runs in the past. Todd Redmond, T- Kyle Drabeck is is no certainty. So yeah, if they get him, it would definitely help the club. I just I'd be bummed because I want Cecil to be the closer. Yeah, I think the Papelbon's most likely to be traded in the in the mid in the middle of the season. I think this is you know every every GM can convince himself right now that he's got enough in the bullpen he's got enough figured out you know if there was anybody that should be at all nervous it's you know Dombrowski in in, in Detroit but mm. you know that he's not going to spend any money on the bullpen because he told he tells everyone every year I'm not going to spend any money in the bullpen and then he goes out and he doesn't spend any money on the bullpen so I doubt that he's going to start now with Papelbon and he, his MO and many other managers MO to me suggests that Papelbon is going to be available mid-season and once, you know, at that point, the teams will know, okay, I'm in it for this year or I'm not. Exactly. And I think guys like Steve Sishek and, um, and, and Pavel Bond will be available. 
they might not get as much as they want, but I mean, what are you really going to get for a reliever these days? Especially Pavel Bond with the cost. So they're going to have to eat the cost. Plus he's older. C-Shack maybe could deliver more, but they, obviously they're hoping to be in contention to the point where they don't want to deal with somebody like a C-Shack. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm getting closer to the point where I think that Pavel Bond's going to be on that club opening day in Philly, which renders mine and Jason's Giles pick, uh, rough i wouldn't say useless because he can still be kind of like the wade davis type from last year but um it's not going to be generating saves early on Uh, homer bailey is likely to start the season on the dl and this is a guy i've been growing increasingly worried about i came into the offseason thinking i'm so in on him um you know the price is way down can't wait to go out and get uh christian bale jr and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look at a picture of Homer Bailey. He looks exactly like <laughs> Christian Bale. Um, and I couldn't wait to reinvest because the, the price was so depressed. And I know he, had, he struggled a bit last year, but there were still some really strong skills. Now I'm getting more and more worried, and it's looking a lot like this elbow, this flexor mass strain could be an issue that eventually leads to what is generally seen as inevitable, and that's Tommy John. So I'm getting nervous. He's the 55th starter off the board, so even at that price, and if it flopped, it wouldn't kill your season. But I'm seeing other risks I'd rather take there right around him. You know, Liriano, Salazar, Paxton, Odorizzi, Holland, Matt Kane, Dallas Keuchel, Drew Hutchison, a guy we both love. They're all right after him, and I would take all of them ahead of him now. How do you feel about Homer Bailey? I might just a wrinkle on that strategy. I, I I might just take a hit of that round and hope that some of the other guys, you know, drop to me. I, oh yeah, I, don't know I just that. named a few. You, I can keep going. No, and no, no, even no. More. I, I like I like all those names. I just think that Homer Bailey to me satisfied an itch in a certain place, and I don't necessarily think that I'm going to pull guys up to replace them. I'm just going to look. I'm just going to look to a different a different stat or a different uh, place on my team to fill it because. He did represent a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know, like a kind of a tier tier ender for me. Um, I mean, he's okay. Sunny in my rankings, uh, Sonny Gray is right by him. I have no problem taking him. Andrew Kashner, Tyson Ross, Drew Hutchinson. All right, okay. I guess I could take those guys, but based on the ADP, um, oh, he was being taken later than a lot of those guys anyway. So. Yeah, all right. Uh, I agree with you. I, I would I would go elsewhere. I'd probably drop Homer Bailey now um, with this news below Salazar. Um, he around fifty in my rankings. I've got Michael Pineda, Justin Verlander, Mike Fires. Okay. I feel like he could belong in that group still because he could still come out of here and have just as much of a likelihood of a good season in just fewer innings as Michael Pineda at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, it's not like Pineda is not a walking uh, injury risk himself. So, you know, we are still – it's not like he's going under the knife, Bailey. I mean, it's just putting the – opening day is not – is now in major doubt, but he could still come back after a couple weeks and and, and keep going. We we don't know. It's just I'm adding some some injury risk that previously I didn't have. I, I was not scared. I thought with the surgery he's good to go. I had him as high as 30 in my original rotographs run. So when we, when we update, he's going to move down. I mean, he might double up. I could have him at 60 at that point, And that's around those guys that I mentioned. So I got, I got to back off a little bit on him. Uh, conversely, this next guy we're going to talk about, I'm starting to move up because well, I, I did one last thing oh, about the Reds. Um, are we talking about the Reds today? No, no, we talked about them last time. Yeah. We already talked about them. 
I think this, the one thing we, we talked about Desclafani, I think this means that he's, I mean, he's made the team unless he just blows it in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really a good option behind Desclafani. Holmberg, Major, these guys aren't, aren't that good. So um, I think that means Desclafani makes the team. Uh, I think it means that Singrani makes the team. And I think it means Rysel Iglesias makes the team. He'll start, you know, in the rotation to begin with. And then when Bailey comes up, if he pitched really well, maybe he pushes Singrani to Scafani down, um, or he he goes to the bullpen. It's not like he Rysel Iglesias has a ton of innings. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, but it also isn't like he's um, you know 22 and you have to protect his arm as much. He's you know he's a he's a 25 year old Cuban import um, that I think uh, you know they can almost let him go. It's not he you know like think about Odrisama Despani. They were just like. You know, we signed you. It didn't cost a lot. Here's the ball. Exactly. <laughs> do your thing. Do your little Swiss Army knife thing where, where you yeah. are just throwing as many variations of pitches as you can and, and kitchen sinking the hell out of guys. I, I like it. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. That's a good point with regards to, first off, uh, Descofani, a guy that you've, you've been trumpeting for a while. And then Rysel Iglesias now gets really into that fifth starter picture. And that, that'll be very interesting uh, with him. I'm it, I really want to see what he can do. I've seen some great reports. I've seen some negative ones. It's really been both sides of the ledger there. So I, I just kind of want to get my own eyes on him uh, at this point. Uh, as I mentioned, this next guy, I'm starting to move up my board after kind of coming in a little pessimistically uh, to start the season. It's Chris Davis. And, and the news right now is that he's going to get some run in right field during spring training. And I don't know that, that that's not why I'm moving him up, by the way, because that doesn't really change his value. I, I'm fine if he gets some outfield. That, that'd be great. But third base is still where you're going to want to use him in just about every situation. Maybe if you somehow, uh, you know, you draft Rendon with your first pick late in the first round or, or, or second pick early second round, and then Arenado falls to you in the fourth or fifth, and you just can't pass it up. So you've basically got, you know, two third basemen there. Although I guess at that point you put Rendon to second. Either way, I'm saying if you somehow wound up with – too many good third basemen uh, and your corner was already filled, then maybe you could start to be like, okay, now I can draft Chris Davis, slot him in at first, and then hope he gets that outfield capability. But either way, right now, he needs to be valued as a third baseman. Honestly, it seems simple, and I I know some people are uh, not on this train of, well, he's getting his Adderall back. Is that going to help? I am buying into that. You know, he's he's got his therapeutic use exemption that he didn't have last year, and it caused him to get suspended. I imagine that that plays a role in in whatever it does. I don't I, I don't know exactly what it does for him, and I've never taken it, so I don't know what it does necessarily for anybody. But it, if it keeps him on track and and it helps him focus or get ready for games, whatever the case may be, I don't think he's hitting 196 now that he's got his Adderall back on track. And I'm starting to move him back up because he hit 26, you know, missing time with only 525 plate appearances last year. Bump his average up 40 points. I'll take a 236 with 35 homers. I th- I think that's very much in play. And yeah, the average hurts, but you can cover it elsewhere. You got to get that pop. I'm 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 gum- I'm getting back in on Chris Davis a bit. Yeah, you know, a career 320 Babbitt, You know, into in 2800 uh, plate appearances into his into his career. You know, seems to suggest that his Babbitt might have been off by 100 points. So. You know, yeah, he had a two forty two uh, last year. And I, I like your point that even in a bad year he hit two he hit twenty six. I mean, if you just use Steamer, which has a, a two forty one average and thirty homers, I think you'll 
if you if you believe in that and you value that as a third baseman, you know, right now in mixed leagues, the auction calculator is saying that that's worth, um, uh, I think, eleven bucks. And and what what number what ranked third baseman would that be? Uh, it'd be the eighth ranked third baseman yeah, in see, mixed league. And I, I I think I had him lower than that to start, and I would actually move him above that eight spot at this point. Well, I, there's there's Seager and Longo ahead of him if you want to play. Would you rather? I, I still prefer Seager, and I think I'm on the fence with Longo. And I've I've been the Longo guy for for years, you know, saying this is the year, this is the year. I swear <laughs> this is the year because he's. But well, just just believing, I think if you just believe that ranking, if you just believe that Chris Davis is the eighth best third baseman, then you will be ahead of most of your league. Yeah. And uh, because the guys behind him, there are people that'll be that people would rather have than Chris Davis behind him. Machado, uh, some people believe in Harrison. Carlos Santana is ranked behind him. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman, David Wright. There's in any given league, there's going to be someone who values those guys higher than Chris Davis. So I think just sort of holding on to that steamer production means it's more likely you'll get him. If you want to, you know, go an extra buck, I'm not. You know, I'm not the the buck fascist, so I'm going to tell you do it, and um, you're then you're going to end up with a guy that has upside beyond his steamer rank. I mean, he's 28 years old, and uh, steamer only has him down for 30 homers, and he beat that in two of the last three years, and he almost ma- matched that in his worst year of his career. So, yeah. I've, you know, been, I've it, been all over the map with this guy. I mean, uh, I was actually calling for a bust season in 2013 and I, I might've missed the boat because he hit 53 homers with 138 <laughs> ribbies. I, you know, I've, I've, I've always bought the power, but coming off that 2012, I was looking at, you know, what a, a 30% strikeout rate. And the fact that he'd hit two two seventy, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's going to start getting shifted on now. And that thir- and that strikeout rate's too high. He ain't hitting 270. He's going to hit 220, uh, 230 area and yeah, 30 homers, but okay. You know, bust relative to where he was being drafted. Again, I was dead wrong. The next year it all comes comes down, but now it's come down so far that I'm ready to get back on the train. So it's it's fluid, and I think you have to be fluid with your valuations. I think too often, uh, you know, guys will take their stance on a player and not really want to adjust it at all. And I, I don't think that's the case. Last year, I would go on any radio spot I did, any podcast I did, and said, do not pay for Michael Waka because he's he's costing you a top 20 starters pick, and that's too high for what he's done. And now this year, I can't get enough of him. I know he's got the injury risk, but his cost yeah. jumped all the way down to the 41st starter. He's added two breaking balls, and now I can't, you know, I, like I said, can't buy enough shares of him. So you have to be flexible with your valuations. Funny that you brought up uh, his shifted. Chris Davis was the, uh, you know, I can't really count it, maybe top 10th most or 8th most shifted batter in baseball last year. And, and his BABIP, he had a, a 353 BABIP without the shift, which is much more in line with his career numbers. You know, he's up in the 330, 360 area for his career. And then he had a BABIP of 236 in the shift. Uh, no, 230 wow. in the shift. So, and his overall batter was 236. So that means he got shifted a lot. Yeah, I should say so. And uh, I think that that's a good reason not to push his batter all the way. You know, I, I, I'm not sure that the shift works that well every year. And I myself have said that I don't think necessarily that Brian McCann is going to get shifted out of baseball. So, you know, 
like Ryan Howard was the second most shifted guy uh, in baseball this year, and his shift Babbitt was 274. Oh, so, interesting. You know, and David Ortiz was the most shifted batter uh, in baseball this year, and his shift Babbitt was 252. So, you know, Brandon Moss, Albert Pujols, those guys all had decent shift Babbitts. I don't know why they actually uh, sh- they shift Albert Pujols. That dude can go the other way, no problem. So that's that's a little bit weird to me. So I think these things we we're not sure how fluid they are. Shifting is kind of like a new toy right now, yeah. Um, in baseball, I mean, I know it's not new; it's been around forever. But people are doing well, a the, lot more. The high volume usage. I mean, yeah. Um, when MLB Network does that state of the game uh, roundtable that they do at the end of every year, they were talking about it, and it was uh, they, they were showing the numbers. And they've been doubling every year for like the last four years. So, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's not new. I mean, Ted Williams was shifted, but the prevalence is through the roof. Right. So, I don't know. Kyle Seager got shifted a lot. He had a 319 Babbitt. I think that Chris Davis could push his shift Babbitt, you know, in a decent year, at least up to 250, which is where Duda and LaRoche are, you know, push it to 250, 260, David Ortiz level. So, uh, you know, I think there's more Babbitt to come. Um, more health, hopefully, you know, more, just better, more focused season, you know, like, like Napoli sleep, nap, sleep apnea. It's easy for us to say, Oh, another best, best of the best shape of your life update. I don't care. Roll your eyes. <laughs> but you know, I, I myself have had cold after cold this year. And just this last couple of days have been finally my first couple of cold free days. And I have like so much more energy and it's like, it's like night and day. And I'm like, Oh wow. This is what it's like to not be sick. And I think that there's on some level, there's going to be a little bit of that with Chris Davis and Mike Napoli, Mike Napoli in particular, cause you're always tired. If you have sleep, if you have sleep apnea, if you're obstruction, in your airways, you're always tired. This, so I, I think you wouldn't be surprised to see Napoli, you know, stay on the field a little bit more and, and have a good year. I'm, I'm not, I don't make my fantasy judgments based on this kind of stuff. But I right. will so I'm say, saying, who's, no, the steamer? who's the steamer projection? Absolutely. <laughs> but what I will say is that uh, a softball teammate of mine had the same thing, sleep apnea, and he got the surgery done. And first off, just talking to him about it has been, he's saying night and day, uh, uh, you know, like you're talking about with the energy. And again, it's, it's softball. So please understand that this is just thin and it's anecdotal. <laughs> but the change in his hitting, because, you know, he used to be a great hitter. He started to fall off a little bit. He couldn't. He couldn't run at all either. You know, he's like <laughs> for whatever. You know, I'm sure the breathing was was really winding him, and he's he 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 had speed. He did one in the gap that usually go for a triple, maybe inside the parker, and he's pulling up at second. All of a sudden, gets the surgery, comes back. Dude is raking, absolutely raking. <laughs> and again, it's soft pitch softball, so I'm not gonna uh, slow pitch softball. So I'm not going out saying I gotta move Napoli up five rounds because my buddy <laughs> now rakes, but. Yeah. Like you're saying, though, it's just completely different. And again, we say this a lot, but these guys are humans. And, and you know, how you feel is really going to deal with how you play. And I don't know what kind of stuff Davis was going through when he couldn't take the Adderall. Maybe he was having withdrawal symptoms. I don't know. And so if that's affecting him and, and getting in his head and maybe he's only thinking about that and not worried about trying to hit opposite field on a shift. And so he's just beating the ball right into the shift. Who knows? But it's it's enough for me to say, oh. I'm interested. The the surgery for Napoli, the 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 therapeutic use exemption for Davis, both are enough for me to say, okay, I have to reassess this situation now. So that that that's how I'm taking it. Um, 
But I want to talk about a couple of things before we get into our team previews here, our uh, Milwaukee and Pittsburgh from the NL Central. I want to talk a little bit about some strategy that you, you're dealing with right now. You, you've got some trades that are on the table that we've been, we've been going back and forth on them a little bit on private chat, but I want to bring them up on the, on the podcast so you can kind of get some thoughts out and then maybe folks can comment in the post notes, uh, in, in the post comment section or on Twitter at Enosaris at Spore with their thoughts. So, so give us the first trade here, what we're dealing with. Oh man. I, <laughs> the manager I'm talking to listens to this uh, podcast. Turn so down your able... radio, sir, please. <laughs> please turn down your, your phone. We're, we're going to talk about the trade yeah. and we don't need you to be hearing it yet. Yeah. Tom, close up your ears and, and yell out loud. There you go. Uh, Earmuffs, Tom. And what's funny is he's, he's offered me a, um, very many um, trades in the past where it's like, here are my three or four pieces. I want your. I want this. I want the best player in the deal, mm-hmm. uh, kind of stuff. And um, so, in the context of that, he offered me Ryan Braun and Latroy Hawkins uh, for my Justin Upton. You know, I, and at first I was like, oh great, you know, another one of these deals. But then I then I just couldn't decide for myself what um, who was the better hitter for this year, Justin Upton or, or Ryan Braun. And then you know. Once I decided that maybe I think Ryan Braun could be a slightly better bet for this year, you know, how much does that calculus change the next year, especially if Justin Upton leaves San Diego? Yeah. Uh, when Ryan Braun is 32 and Justin Upton is 28. So, you know, I'm leaning no just because this is a 20 team, 28 keeper dynasty situation okay. where I was kind of. I think I was like eighth or ninth last year. And, you know, if I have another sort of middling season like that, I'm going to have to kind of switch it up and kind of Tear build down. a little bit more the future. Yeah. Um, and in which case, I think it'll be better for me to be selling an Upton than to be selling a Braun. That part uh, I agree with, but we don't want to play. We don't want to play to lose or, or plan to lose. So uh, I don't know. This, it's one so tough for me, and I've basically been thinking about it since you told me about it, which is crazy because it doesn't affect me at all. But I've just been going back and forth with it's that damn. It's a good trade off. It, it's a <laughs> it's a good trade off. It really is. And sweetening it now with you know I can get uh, there's some interesting names that I can get. I forget who they are now, but um, there are definitely some sweeteners on the table that it doesn't matter though my the main question for me is Ryan Braun versus Justin Upton and you know Justin Upton he is moving to a worse park but a lot of his homers were no doubters you know exactly. and i think if there's anybody whose homers can translate to to San Diego it's him i mean Chase Headley hit 30 something there so um you know i, I think uh i think and then compare with the youth and then Ryan Braun has the thumb injury but it isn't on base percentage league and you know, of the two, Ryan Braun has had some some superlative on base percentage years, and um, has had speed more more recently than than Upton, um, and, and probably at his peak was a better hitter than Upton, but is now you know two or three years past his peak, and there's a whole PED thing, so I, I find it a very fascinating uh, decision to make. Right now, I'm leaning on keeping Upton, just the younger asset. Um, you know, and Latroy Hawkins is not moving the needle for me much at all. I do have Adam Ottavino, but you know, I also picked up like Tanner Shepherds, QG Fujikawa. I picked up a lot of relievers that I think haven't a chance to close. And you know, that's something that I just work on during the year and, and try to find. And then 
I inevitably trade my closers away and start the process again in the, in the offseason. <laughs> well, it, it's a good thing we got our, our Hawkins talk in because we have to mention him at least every podcast. I think my final answer does come down to leaning your way, and it's because of your league format here. And it's the, the depth of it and, and the fact that it is a dynasty really makes those, what is it, four years difference uh, in age. I think that that – that is enough for me. That's enough to sway it because from everything that we've seen from Upton, you could literally say you, you could logistically say that he's just kind of getting into his peak. Even, even though, you know, we saw a 31 Homer season, what four seasons ago, he could really just be getting going. And I'm not, again, I'm with you. I'm not terribly worried about that park. It's not necessarily going to help him, but you know what? He's also going to get some work in, in Colorado and Arizona and, and Dodger stadium uh, can work well for Homer. So San Francisco and San Diego, sure. They're going to be down, but he's played in all those parks. He knows how to deal with them because he used to be with Arizona. So I think he's just going to be such a beast. And I'm with you that sure uh, Hawkins, whatever, because you also have Adovino, but are you really that psyched to get the, the Colorado's closer situation on lockdown? <laughs> Not really. So it's a really good offer that, that if I was offered it too, I'd have to be thinking back and forth, back and forth. But with the thumb and the four years and the league format, I say, no, I think if it was like a, uh, a different format, there's a chance there are scenarios where I'd say yes, but in your case, I'm going to go ahead and pass. Talk if to me. It, it was fewer keepers. Yeah. Because, um, you know, 28 keepers, there is really like a, a, a real life feel to it. Whereas if it was like 10 keepers, I feel like Braun could be, you could hide Braun as your, one of your worst keepers, even as his, as his um, career goes down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I agree. The other one that I'm looking at right now is in a 12 uh, team uh, dynasty situation. We keep 26 of 29. Okay. It's a five by five with OBP added on. And um, I've won it like, I don't know, eight out of the 10 years that the league has existed. Okay. <laughs> and um, I have a super deep team, and I have uh, David Wright, Matt Carpenter, and Pablo Sandoval at third, third base. And my right fielder is Jason Wirth. Ah. Uh, and my final keeper, because I Wait, just... do, do y'all use uh, fielding... Sp- uh, outfield specifics because you said right fielder so do you have yeah okay yeah cool cool go ahead and um and my outfield in general is is dickerson Betts, and worth so you know i like it but i i also think you know it's risk laden yeah i don't really have an opening day right fielder and if things break wrong i don't have an opening day you know center fielder or left fielder so uh, I, I could use an outfielder is what I'm saying and then also my last keeper since i did a lot of sort of shuttling around and and some um and some spots starting to, to win the championship last year. Uh, my last keeper is Will Smith. Uh, nice. Even though we have holds, it's a that's I think that's a tenuous last keeper. Sure, sure, big so Willie style. So I've been throwing out um, ideas to people. You know, someone, you, some of you guys have to have more depth than I do. Someone offered me two for my one. I I never want to take those deals, but in this case, I want one. And um, so the offer I got was Avisel Garcia and uh, Patrick Corbin. For for my Pablo Sandoval, and we have like four or five DL slots, so I could I can hide Corbin for a while. Um, he makes a decent, he makes a better keeper than Will Smith, I think. A little bit of youth in the, my, my pitching staff, and then um, Avisel Garcia helps me in the outfield. The problem is that by by projections, this is a really bad idea. The projections are not nice to Avisel. 
And he, he just, I understand why, because his minor league numbers were not that exciting. Um, and, you know, despite being in a hitter's park last year, he was, I, he did have an all right, you know, start, but I think mostly everybody who loves Avisale is, is still dreaming sure. on his tools. And I, I wondered how you felt about that because. Well, I'm one of those you know, dreamers. So yeah. I, let, let me, let me put that disclosure out there immediately. It's not because necessarily because I'm a Tigers fan and that's where it came from. It's, I just, I really like him. Everything I've seen from him tells me that I think some of these, the, the dreams that we're putting on him, I think are legitimate. I think I would do this deal. I think he does have a unique power speed combo. Then not much speed, especially from outfield, you know, probably double digit stolen bases, but the power potential I think is substantial. Meanwhile, I think this offense has really improved to the point where when hit with him batting in the middle of it, the runs scored and driven in opportunities are substantial as well. Um, I, I kind of actually liked what I saw when he came back last year, given what he'd been through. First off, the fact that he even made it back because the original diagnosis was that he's done for the year. So the fact that he was able to get back and get some get some reps in so that he doesn't have this whole big layoff before he plays again, that that worked well for me. I like this deal. I, I'm also not a huge Pablo Sandoval guy. I never really have been. Um, not because I think he's uh, too fat or anything like that. I thought that whole picture thing was really stupid because it's, just, it's no different from what he's always been. So he, he can <laughs> he can operate at that weight and 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 be the guy that he is. Um, I would boost his average up maybe a little bit. Uh, Sandoval that is 279, 278 the last two years. I could see him easily being a 295 guy beating the ball off the off the green monster for a while. Um, I like that but but honestly i'm 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 projecting for, for this year already for avisel garcia to have more power than him so uh given your surplus at third base and the little the fluctuations or, or excuse me the uncertainty in your outfield i'd go ahead and do this deal i also still believe that that corbin can get back and and be solid i, I kind of buy into his breakout year with a lot of the stuff that he did he might not necessarily be at that particular level um the, right when he gets back obviously but I think he can build back up to being, you know, just a really strong pitcher uh, who can miss enough bats, doesn't walk guys, ha has the nice ground ball rate. And so the what mid threes ERA and, and strong whip that, that that's suitable to me. I think by 2016, uh, we'll see that version of Corbin back in effect. So I think this is a nice deal for you. I'd go ahead and pull the trigger on this one uh, yeah, pretty you know, easily. I have an option on Pineda. Uh, could get Pineda instead of Corbin. I, I think I like it. Um, and Ooh, you know what? That might, oh, man. Yeah, I'll think about that one myself for a little bit. I mean, they're they're very. I mean, it's interesting because Pineda is an injury risk, and Corbin is already injured. Is currently injured. Yeah. Um. So I'll figure that one out. I think I like the idea of the you know just in general. I like it because, um. Yeah, I think it's two pieces of it's two lottery tickets for an eight you know an older guy that I don't necessarily need at his, at his position. And it is a step down, but um, my team could use a little bit. Like, just listen, there's worth, you know, I'm depending on worth in the outfield and, you know, shoulders all bad. So I, I kind of like it. I, I just, you know, it's just funny when you're looking at a guy and you, and you hear people and you like what you see when you watch him, but the numbers are not really there. So that's why I wanted to talk about this. In general, I'm trying to be a little bit more of a trader jack this year. I, I, I feeling I feel like um you might have seen it in my score sheet league. I'm I'm trading more this oh, year yeah. just because uh I I want to have fun with this. I think it's supposed to be fun. 
and I want to see different teams. I want to see different players. Well, and it's, I want... a, it's a skill that can really help you win. Fred Zinke is known for it, and, and it, it helps him win. I mean, it, it's a big factor in his ability to, you know, he's not hamstrung by any sort of draft. You know, draft mistakes kind of roll off of his back because he's going to go out and, and, and fix it, and he offers a lot of fair deals so people are willing to trade with him. I find you to be the same way. Every time we've gotten in a trade discussion, I'm like, wow, you know, offer – the, the first offer out of the gate is very enticing right away, you know, and I, I think that's an underrated part of it. It sounds obvious, but so many people want to win deals and yeah, you, you want to win it from the standpoint that you want to better your team, but I'm not, I'm not ever really trying to rip anybody off because then they're not a trade partner the next time around, you know, uh, or, or they're skeptical of you every time you, you want something. So I, I, I like that. And I, I think you're, I think you're honing that skill well. And uh, these two deals obviously have got you really strong, got, gotten some good offers here to kind of look at and, and be on the fence about, which tells me that uh, your, your league values you as a good trader too. And, and that, that's, like I said, that's a skill that is probably underrated in the game. Yeah, well, I've had the reputation of sitting too long on trades, which is ironic because this Braun trade is probably – a week old. I was going to say, point. you told me about that one a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's something I'm trying to go against too, is to try and be quicker about Those it. So triggers. Yeah. Because the longer you think, the, the more chance that you're not going to do it. And I found myself to be the same way. I will sit on trades and, and hem and haw and, and then, and then. Yeah. And actually, usually that's what's happening is that I'm trying to convince myself to like it. Uh, the, the Avisail trade is, is two days old and, uh, you know, I was going to take it and I, and, uh, so thank you for, for, for finishing that one off for me. I think that, you know, Pablo hitting 330 with, with, you know, 18, 19 homers would be amazing. But I just – I'm not even sure he's going to stay healthy long enough to do that. I mean, his health history is bad, so. And uh, I would love to hear for, with regards to people putting in the comments. Obviously, you can comment on anything you want regarding the trades. But I'd really love to hear how people feel on that Corbin versus Pineda piece of it because I, I'm a little torn on that. I'm definitely doing the trade, but I'm not sure I, I know exactly which pitcher I want there. Pineda, obviously, major injury risk still, but – he's going to be ready to pitch right away. Whereas you're kind of waiting on Corbin so that there is a balance there between those two. So, uh, yeah, either comment that or, or tweet Eno and I, um, at Eno Saracen at Sporer. Let's do some team previews here. Let's jump into Milwaukee. This is a team that, you know, had, was on the way to a great season last year. They were leading the division forever. I mean, they came out of the gate. Jason and I were beating our chests because we projected them to, to get a playoff spot. We're like, oh, hey, look at us. It was, I think it was us two and Cliff Corcoran from SI were the only three that we knew that had really went out and said that Milwaukee could get a playoff spot. So we're sitting there at talking, tweeting each other, back pat and saying, oh, man, we made that sweet call about Milwaukee, huh? Yeah, right, didn't work out. Uh, so they kind of collapsed, unfortunately. But despite that collapse and, and despite the fact that it's been a bit, pretty quiet offseason, still have a lot of fantasy viability up and down this team. I think there are going to be, geez, most leagues, uh, I'm trying to think of a league format where their entire lineup won't be owned. I mean, it goes Carlos Gomez, Jonathan Lucroy, Ryan Braun, Aramis Ramirez, Adam Lind, Chris Davis, Scooter Jeanette, Gene Segura. I think even in a 10-team mixer, all of them are at least on a reserve roster, you know, but in a 12-team or better, they're all owned and they're all starters. And as far as their starting pitching, 
it runs pretty deep too. They don't have very many stars, but uh, they, they have solid guys that you can put in your, in your lineup there. Their closer situation just changed recently. They re-signed K-Rod, so Broxton's out of there. I think people are, are willing to buy in on K-Rod as kind of a fringe second tier, but probably third tier if you just go 10, 10, and 10 with the closers. He might be in that in that third 10, but he, he could be on the, on the fringe of the second 10. So um, let's dive into this team, and, and we'll start with hitters. Who do you like best at their current cost? You know, I, I think that it's possible that John Zakura is the most underrated in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because I see him as sort of equivalent to Elvis Andrews and Alcides Escobar, but he's going way later. And even if you don't believe that he's going to hit 12 homers again, I don't think it's hard to believe that he'll steal 30 bases again. Absolutely. And if he's going to steal 30 bases and hit five homers and hit 260 to 280, just depending on Babbitt that year, then he's absolutely equivalent to Elvis Andrews and um, and Alcides Escobar. So these guys are all sort of 10, you know, 9 to 12 kind of shortstops, I think. And, um, you know, so I think that uh, you just you wait until at least one of those guys gets picked and then you pick the best of the other two. And it might be might be Sakura and it might be late in your draft. And it might be a really good way to get a cheap shortstop um, that's still you know representative for your league size. So this is what happens when I don't put my picks on the sheet and steal from you. <laughs> you, you turn around and steal from me because I agree with you 100%. So I don't need to go repeat it. I will just tack on that. We just talked about how these guys are humans and, and things affect them. The fact that he was even able to go out there and put up 557 plate appearances given the devastation that he dealt with off the field, uh, losing a child, uh, you know, I know it wasn't a great 557 plate appearances, but the fact that he was able to even go out there and kind of uh, take the field every day speaks to, you know, his resolve to kind of go out there and still be as much part of the team as he can. So I think with that, I don't want to say behind him because I certainly don't want to diminish it, but with that no longer at the forefront of his life, more something that he's probably uh, moving forward from. I think he has a chance to kind of get back there, and I agree with you on the pop. You don't even need the 12 homers for him to be valuable. Uh, for me, I really like uh, I really like a lot of these guys, but um, I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with uh, Aramis Ramirez uh, because for the last several years now, he just is kind of discounted. I mean, not really thought of because he is older. Um, I, I just don't think he gets much love. He's the 17th third baseman off the board right now. And, and that's, that's interesting. By the way, this will be the last season that everyone can discount him because he's set to retire uh, after the year. Now he hasn't made it through the last two seasons, 92 and 133 games for Aramis respectively. But the production is still there. It's still plus production. It's not quite as high as it as it was, uh, you know, when he was a Cub or even his first year with Milwaukee. But he's still going to give you something solid there as your corner infielder. And so I, I like this guy. Uh, already talked about how deep the lineup is. That gives him a chance to put up nice runs scored and driven in. And I think the pop will be there. Um, if he if we can get one final hurrah, and maybe since it's his last season, he'll be willing to kind of play through a little bit more. Uh, maybe it's going to have to be like a pretty severe injury for him to, for him to beg off of a game. He's going to go out there as much as he can, I bet. Hopefully he can get another 149 games because he did it back-to-back seasons in 2011-2012. I like Aramis Ramirez. It's an interesting pick. He had such a, 
I don't know, blah year last year that, and there is that retirement looming. I think that people will just think of him as an old man, but you know, he managed to still be the 15th best third baseman by our end of season rankings, which I think that might surprise some people. And then if you start to look at some of the guys ahead of him, yes, behind him, David Wright and maybe Nick Castellanos um, and maybe Chase Headley have a chance of passing him. I mm-hmm. think that's three guys behind him. But there are also three guys right ahead of him that he could pass himself. I would say that Martin Prado, Casey McGee, Lonnie Chisenhall, maybe even Trevor Plouffe represent guys that he could better. So Agreed. If he just stays where he is and ends up you know, another season as the 15th best uh, third baseman, then that means he's mixed league relevant and he's mixed league useful. And if he you know, stays on the field a little bit longer and accrues enough value to become you know, 13th, 14th, maybe even 12th uh, best third baseman, these are the kind of things that um, fantasy dreams are, are made of. No, you know, these are the kind of things that actually win fantasy leagues because, you know, they, they are so cheap, but they fulfill a good role. And there's, you know, while everyone else is reaching for Dalton Pompey, you go and take Aramis Ramirez and Dalton Pompey, you know, hits 220 and, and struggles to adjust the league and, and, and it, deals with all that. And the old man just hits, you know, 18 homers, has 95 RBI, and hits 290, and you know, says goodbye. Yeah, I, I, that, that's perfect. And you know, 9.1 homer to fly ball ratio last year was a career worst. He's a 13% career guy, so that 20 homer, uh, 18 to 20 homers, I think are very much in play. So um, I, I definitely like him this year. And like you said, no one's gonna make a peep when you make that pick. But when you make the no, Pompey no, pick, not- what's that? <laughs> No nice picks, guy. No, no, you know? because when when you make the Pompey pick, everyone's going to start cursing you out and giving you the nice yeah. pick, and you snake me. <laughs> you make an Aramis pick, it's complete crickets. And honestly, more often than not, it's those cricket picks that end up doing something for you. So uh, I like him. Let's talk some pitching here. we probably got the same guy, but I'll let you take him. Who's your favorite pitcher at current costs? I just want to give a shout out here. I, I don't, I don't know who exactly we should be talking about, but I want to give a shout out to Kyle Loesch here real quick. Okay. Because... I, I like that. That wasn't who I was thinking. So, but uh, definitely talk about Mr. Loesch. Yeah. Cause he, there, he, there... He, he is, he is Aramis Ramirez of pitching kind of. Yeah. And it's just really interesting because I mean, he's 36 and um, you know, one of these years it's not going to work out, but we keep saying that it's not going to work out, and the projections keep projecting him for it to not work out. And we've now had four straight seasons where he's had a 3-5 ERA or better. And a great uh, whip. A, yeah, really strong whip. And, um, you know, he's managed, despite, you know, below average ground ball rates, to keep his home run rate manageable. And I know he's done it a little bit with homer per fly ball suppression. And I don't know if that's necessarily a skill, but... You know, it is, you know, four out of the last five years he's done it. And, uh, you know, if you go beyond that, he's done it um, uh, for seven out of his last nine years. He's been better than league average with Mm -hmm. the home run for fly ball. So there's something going on there. I think that when you have plus command, it's certainly possible that you are getting your pop-ups. And he's a little bit slightly better than league average in pop-ups or or that you that you somehow can elicit weak command. I know this is anti-dips, and I don't really have great evidence for why necessarily he'd be doing it. Uh, but he, you know, he hits that spot low in a way like nobody's business, um, and he establishes strike one. I mean, he's got excellent uh, first strike rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one thing that we talked about when I talked to him, and that's actually 
in the last four years, he's like that was the big deal. I mean, he he jumped from sort of league average uh, uh, first rate strikeouts to elite. I mean, Absolutely. since since he was with the Cardinals in 2011, he's been uh, 68, 69, 66, 65, and the league averages are always around 60. So this is a guy who jumps out to strike one, and you know I think that makes it then easier to hit certain spots that look you know enticing to the batter but aren't aren't you know good spots for them to. Uh, to actually hit and it, that's you know doesn't let, lead to a ton of strikeouts so he's not really a strikeout boon but you know I've had this guy in my in a different league an 18 team uh, 25 keeper league where uh, every year I put him on the block and every year nobody wants nope. to have anything to do with him and every year I say fine fine I'll just keep him yeah <laughs> let me ask you something you talk about the first pitch strike rate so obviously he's getting ahead can that be part of the home run suppression that uh, you, you get ahead enough so that they you know now now batters have to change their approach they can't necessarily swing from the heels unless it's Javi Baez um and so maybe that helps him with regard to to maybe not giving up as many homers as his stuff might otherwise dictate or, or is that complete bs I don't know I, I think it probably has something to do with it what's interesting is he's got um he has he has decent reach rates uh you know Loesch has decent reach rates, um, but people make decent contact on those pitches outside the zone. And in just in general, he doesn't have a lot of swing and miss in his, in, his, in his game. But what I would say is this. If you do get ahead, that means you have a strike, and that means you can play a little bit more with your ball. So that means you, <laughs> wow. I, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know, but I'm keeping that in. There's no way I'm editing that out. So good. <laughs> what I mean is you can, you can play you can, outside the zone. You can leave the zone, the zone. yeah. Yeah. And if, and, if, and if, yes, they're making a lot of contact, above average um, rate of contact outside the zone, but everything is down outside the zone. Slugging on contact is down outside the zone. BABIP is down outside the zone. I'm sure home runs per fly ball are down outside the zone. So if you get a lot of contact on pitches outside the zone, then, yeah, maybe you won't give up as many homers because people are connecting at pitches that, you know, don't belong they don't really shouldn't be connecting, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the guy I thought you might pick, but I like that you went uh, kind of off the board there and, and talked about a guy who should be getting drafted. But I'll take the obvious one, Mike Fires, uh, because I'm actually, I'm bought in. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this guy. I'm buying into what he can do. I understand that the raw stuff is not great because he won't light up the gun. But I think that beyond that, his stuff, his stuff beyond that, beyond the pure velocity, the command of the fastball, and then the secondary stuff, as it were, um, is a lot better than he gets credit for. I think that people will say he has bad stuff and, he, and he's succeeding, referring only to the velocity. He doesn't have bad stuff. He has low velocity. That's it. I mean, he, yeah. it, it, it does curb your margin for error substantially when you have such low velocity. But when you're commanding the ball that well – that, that all of a sudden makes your stuff play up at that point. So then now, now you're taking, um, you know, your, your 50 grade pitches and jumping them up to 55 uh, and 60s on your, on, on his best day. And I've just, I've been really impressed. And I, honestly, I think the 2013 flop that a lot of people see, and they think that could happen again. I think that might've been injury related. It was 22.3 innings for one point, uh, mostly in relief. And for, and for two, he got hurt. So I don't think that we can look at that and say, Oh, well, well last time he did this, he completely cratered the next year. And because, you know, because the stuff isn't good enough, whatever. No, I think there were mitigating circumstances there that made him fall off. And, and now I'm, I'm, 
I'm willing to believe that there, a lot of this is real. Maybe not at the the level that he did it. You know, 213 ERA, 88 or .88 WHIP. Okay, Fires is not going to do that for a full season. Nobody really is, except for maybe Kershaw uh, and you know whoever has the the kind of breakout year this year. But you don't project that for anybody. I get that. But even his xFIP at 315, I'll take that all day because he gets strikeouts and he doesn't give up walks. Uh, he's good at, at at hit suppression, and a lot of it is because of his stuff. He gets a little bit fortunate with the 224 BABIP, but Fires induces a lot of poor, weak contact. And so I'm buying in here. I think, I think he can have a, a, a solid ERA, um, a, a good whip and a, and a good strikeout rate. And he's not costing very much for what he did. So I'm buying Mike fires. Yeah. I did a, a piece this year, uh, called the, the how and the why of Mike fires. Um, and, uh, and I tried to figure out what adjustments he'd made and basically he changed his spot on the rubber. Um, and, What's interesting is that he had a spot on the rubber that led to success in 2012. He then changed his spot on the rubber and had no success in 2013. And then he changed back to his his spot from 2012 and had success again. So I think that's a really big deal. Um, what it allowed him to do was to move his heat map from right down the middle against right-handers to, to on the inside corner. Mm -hmm. And then also he made some change to his cutter. I really want to talk to him about this here, but his cutter in the bad year, his cutter um, got started looking a lot like his changeup, not necessarily in horizontal movement, but had the same vertical movement and had very similar speed. But last year, his cutter uh, went up in velocity and separated from his changeup. So I think now he has four legit speeds to work out. He's at 90, 87, 83, and 77 or 75. And that's I think that's a really good range. He's got things that bend in each direction, and he's got a rise ball with his fastball. So even though the fastball doesn't have a lot of velocity, he can, is when he has good command, he's he can use it effectively. And so now with the fastball and the cutter, because actual rise balls are very good for uh, platoon splits, rising fastballs are good for same-handed uh, batters. So between the rising fastball and the cutter, he's got something to use against the same-handed guys, and the change in the curve um, help him get lefties out. It's a very advanced arsenal. It's a very nice arsenal. As long as he can sort of keep all his body parts together mm -hmm. and uh, and keep his command in check and keep some of these little velocity <laughs> games, he should be good. Sorry about that. Uh, apparently there's someone at the door. Hang on one second. All right. Sorry about that. UPS delivering stuff to me that wasn't even mine. <laughs> it was next door. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, no but I, I got we everything. Finished. We finished fires. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. A uh, few questions about this ball club here. Uh, the, the, the Jonathan LaCroix injury, the hamstring injury. We haven't really gotten any updates for a couple weeks now, but did you, I can't remember when we talked, did, did you move him down a lot uh, when that happened? And are, are you, are, are you kind of just keeping him where he is? Cause I'm having trouble with him because I was really, really excited about him this year. And then that injury comes and I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. Do I, can I really jump him as much as I want to? How do you feel about, about Luke Roy this year with regards to the injury? Cause I think the skills are, you know, they're set. I don't think we can really poke holes in them and say that it's not believable except maybe probably not going to hit 53 doubles again. But, um, 
how do you feel about him with regards to this groin or this hammy? I don't really believe that doubles turn into homers and he's past power peak and he's 28 and you know, the, there's only one direction for him to go is down really. I mean, cause 655 plate appearances for a catcher is pretty mammoth. I, I, I'm not down on him. I mean, I think he's amazing and he's still reasonably within his peak, but you know, just based on fantasy output and how many uh, plate appearances had last year, I think he has to go down. But the the uh, the nice thing is that I think the team can get better. Um, at least the lineup can, or at least his run in RBI production can, because mm-hmm. he had 82 RBIs and 508 plate appearances in 2013, and he had 69 last year. So, you know, there's there's still some play where he could get more runs in RBI out of fewer plate appearances and be worth about the same. I think. Yeah, I I hear you on the on the, on the volume. Um, he does. He is a guy who goes plays first a lot. When or I shouldn't even say a lot because it was not as much as I thought last year. Only 19 games over there. I would have thought more, based on the fact that he played so uh, but, played so much and got so many plate appearances. That's almost 80 plate appearances. But oh, it, um, okay. Well, then maybe, then maybe it, it was enough. But I, I think that actually could, could actually rise though. I think that. But but at the expense of his his time behind the plate. I think they'd pull him from behind the plate because Lind, uh, Adam Lind is, is a platoon guy for sure. And so you can find ways to get Luke Croy over at first, give him a, give him yeah. a day off uh, behind the plate and put Maldonado there. So I don't know. I'm still pretty high on him. I think when push comes to shove in, in, in my drafts that, that uh, aren't just mocks really start to count, this is a guy that I'm still going to be pretty high on even with the injury because the injury did bump him down a little bit in cost. So I'll take that discount. I hear what you're saying with regards to, you know, I'm not saying that the 53 home uh, doubles are going to turn into 25 homers or anything like that. Th- that's sometimes yes, sometimes no. I don't think, like you said, you can't just say doubles to homers is a thing. But I do think he can kind of get back up to where he was, that 18 level, the high, the upper teens. And then if the RBIs go back up, I like that. And I love the average. So I don't know. I just I'm, – I'm kind of all over the map with him. I just I love Jonathan Lucroy. I want him to be a stud and continue to do so. So uh, I don't think I'm going to discount him too much on that injury. Hopefully the market does, and I'll, and I'll pounce on that. But speaking of him – What about uh... – what about Scooter Jeanette's power? Do you believe in that? Well, I was actually – we were going to talk about him because I was going to say, have we seen his peak? I oh. I, I think – I believe in what we saw last year is kind of what he is, though. I think that's going to be the best that we can see. I don't know that he's necessarily going to show any improvement against lefties because he, he was terrible against them in the minors, too. So I don't think this is a guy that's necessarily going to evolve – and, and and kind of work his way out of being a platoon guy. And so I think the pop that he showed last year might have a little bit of an uptick, but he doesn't hit a lot of flies. So, you know, even if you round out his, his homer to fly ball ratio, I think it was at 7% last year. Even if you bump him up, it's not going to make a substantial difference. So I'll say I believe what we saw last year, maybe he can hit low double digits, um, but that, that's about it. Uh, other than that, though, you're, you're, you're looking at him for average and hopefully some decent counting stats um, for, you know, per plate appearance because he, he's just not going to be a full timer. He's not going to get 155 games. So for the time that he plays, you, you got to kind of extrapolate uh, his homers and or excuse me, his runs and RBIs to get an idea of what that would equate to. And then when you're filling. You got to fill in with him too. If if you if you can, if you see that they got a a streak of four lefties in a, in a week coming, 
get him out, you know, pair him with somebody that you can, that you can move in for him because then you can really maximize that second base spot. Cause I like him for what he does. I like him a lot. Jason and I waited on second base and we ended up with him. Um, and we were pretty happy to get him where we did. I think the averages for real, the power that we saw is, is pretty real, but I don't know that there's much more than what we saw last year to his game. Yeah, it's just, you know, he had some a little bit of a home away splits where he he's enjoyed hitting at home. And that could be all that it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I talked, I just interviewed Casey McGee a couple weeks ago, and he said he, like, got this look in his eye. And he was like, Milwaukee, that's a nice place to to, to hit. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's fantastic. It look really- at what Casey McGee did in, in, in Miami. He hit, like, three homers. Exactly. I and mean, he hit 20 in Milwaukee. It's a great place to hit. It's a, it's a, it's, it's underrated. I think most people understand that it's a homer, uh, a hitter's park, but I don't think they give it the credit that it deserves. It, it's up there. You know, when Estrada, when Marco Estrada was dealt from Milwaukee to Toronto, everyone's like, oh no, look at the park factor now. It's like, well, is that his actual home park factor didn't really change for homers. You know, uh, Milwaukee and Toronto both are home run havens. Now, Going to the AL and the rest of the AL East is what's going to do Estrada in. But in terms of his home park alone, Milwaukee is a great place to hit. Yeah. Uh, All right. And then I was going to say we were talking about a hammy injury, and there's another guy with one that we just learned about recently, and it's Jimmy Nelson. So that's going to, you know, we're going to, it's just kind of a wait and see with him right now. There's nothing set in stone, like he's not going to miss. X amount of time just yet, but um, just just being held back for throwing right now, nothing crazy, but I wanted to use it as a springboard to talk about him with regards to what you think, because obviously the trade of Giovanni Gallardo was uh, a vote of confidence in Nelson because now he moves into the rotation and he's going to be the five starter this year. How do you feel about him? He was a, he was a major prospect for them, but a lot of it was more because they had a terrible system than it was him being a great prospect. He was a real prospect, but I don't think he would have necessarily been one in a lot of other systems. He might have been more of a two, three kind of guy. Uh, Yeah, Jimmy Nelson, I I was wondering when we get to him. Jimmy Nelson, you know, I just, his changeup is bad, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, you know, I, I was actually kind of looking at Michael Pineda, sneaking in a little look at Michael Pineda and, and, and Patrick Corbin, and you could put them all in the sort of bad changeup crew. I mean, they, they're pretty bad. The, the one thing that Corbin has going for him is that his changeup at least goes 10 miles an hour slower uh, than his other pitches. Uh, Michael Pineda's got a really hard changeup that, that basically looks very much like a sinker um, and, you know, is pretty bad. Nelson's is just... Just terrible. I mean, it's, it's not just, good. He had a strong nothing, platoon split last year. Yeah, it's got nothing going for it. It's um, it's what like seven miles an hour slower than a sinker. Uh, has is has less vertical drop than his sinker, which is always a bad thing, <laughs> you know, because your changeup's coming in above where your sinker was. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it doesn't have as much horizontal movement as a sinker. So the only thing it has going for it is uh, the, the difference in velocity. And if it's, if it's a little bit hard and he's coming in there A6, A7, and they're they're geared up for an I3 mile an hour sinker, uh-oh. It's, so, it's teed up, literally. I mean, it, it, yeah. they are literally putting it on the plane where that where that T would be, and big he trouble. Threw, he threw 28 of them. So the only thing he can really do is, you know, you know, sort of masterson it up, which isn't really 
a, a long-term plan. We've seen that with Masterson himself. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's got the injury. And the one thing I would say with Masterson is the, the, the times it's worked out for Masterson is when he's had his best command, which usually has when he has his best health. And when, he, when the two of those things combine, he has his best health, best, health best, best command, and he can back foot the slider, and he can, you know, front door, back door, whatever. He can, he can figure out ways to place it where it's not coming over the heart of the zone. But if, you're, if your health is a little bit off and your command is a little bit off, oh boy. I mean, I think of, of all the people we've talked about this year with bad change-ups, this is the one that I'm almost the most uh, sure that he, you know, he's, he's a bullpen guy. Okay. Well, that... that... I mean, he, he could he could be start talking right now about developing a curveball, a knuckle curve, uh, maybe a cutter. Shane Green is you know four seam, two seam, cutter slider. Mm-hmm. You know it's at least four different looks to give. Uh, but to this point, Nelson has only given us pretty much sinker slider. And, yeah, and the thing is, like you mentioned, he he, he threw what twenty eight. He knows it sucks too. And so yeah. <laughs> that, that that's worrisome because he doesn't even necessarily want to work on it uh, in games because he knows it's no good. So uh, you got to be careful with him. Big platoon split. And I think Masterson is, is a good name to bring up, you know, more or less across the board with him because uh, they're both pretty sizable guys, too. So when it goes wrong for Masterson, it goes really wrong. And we could see that from Nelson, considering we haven't even really seen it. Uh, go right for Nelson just yet. So be careful with him and then monitor that injury issue because that could really uh, muddy the waters uh, altogether. Let's talk about the Pirates and then wrap this sucker up. Who is your favorite well, hitter? Should, uh, just push the Pirates. I mean, we've got we've got some time before before the season. How much? How yeah. many more things we got left? No, but we'll do the Pirates and Cardinals. Yeah, you're right. That, I, I didn't realize the time was uh, so high. We'll, we'll we'll push them. Let's go ahead and 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 end it. Hang on, I'll I'll, okay. I'll restart with the more. Uh, apt closing all right so that's going to wrap it up on the brewers and and we had so much great talk that we're going to go ahead and push the pirates actually i don't think you'll get to do the pirates jason and i will will be talking pirates so um i'll make sure to talk to you about jung ho kang uh <laughs> next week because i know that you've got some good thoughts on him and so uh well i'd love to you guys you guys need to talk about him but we will uh, but I, i'm I still going to get your also, follow-up no but also the other guy you guys need to talk about is gregory polanco because I got I got uh, someone uh, took me to task because I said he had a stellar debut, and I, I obviously I chose my words on purpose. I know that it doesn't look like a stellar debut, but I just wanted to point out that he had an above average walk rate, above average contact rate, close to average power, and above average speed, um, which for a 23 year old is amazing. So I hope you guys share my Gregory Polanco love, but either way, I'm sure you'll talk about him. And, I uh, I will. Just, you know, a little bit of a spoiler early on. I love Gregory Polanco, and I think the standards to to say something like a a stellar debut, I think they're too high because I agree with you. You know what? He 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 struggled a little bit after the hot start, but overall he held his own for 300 plate appearances as a 22 year old. That we we just don't see that a lot, and I think because right. we've seen some guys you know, put up an 850 OPS at 22 instead of a 650, we're thinking that anybody who doesn't put up an 850 sucks. It's hard, and I believe there's an article. Um, wasn't there an article that like, kind of centered around him with regards to how difficult it is to transition to the majors? Did am I, am I crazy, or was that not written by somebody uh, from Fangraphs? I I don't know. But, I think uh, it was on Jabo over at uh, 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 the Fox Sports, but 
I, I, I thought it was a Fangraphs writer who wrote it. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just one of the other guys there. But they wrote about how much tougher it is to start to hit in the majors when you make that transition these days. And he was kind of a jumping off point for it. So I'll find that article and I'll, I'll, I'll link to it in Sunday's podcast after Jason and I actually talk about him. But uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, what do you got coming up? Any, anything that you can preview for us or uh, is it more of a mixed yeah. bag? I'm working on uh, what stats to punt. Oh, so, okay. Uh, uh, working on all the correlations between the stats to 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 show sort of uh, in the numbers uh, the argument for which stats to punt, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about whether or not it's only a roto or H2H strategy. That's coming up in my Tuesday column. Excellent. Uh, and uh, still working on that that pitch thing, but uh, it's a bear. And um, right now, all I'm doing is looking forward to Arizona. Oh, me too. And I'm looking forward to closing the book on the starting pitching guide. For those of you that were looking for this podcast yesterday, Thursday, I should say, since not everybody listens to it immediately, um, it was delayed because of me. I asked, you know, I said, man, I got to I got to do a full day on the uh, on the book here. We're, we're finally putting it to bed. I got all of Doug's stuff. I'm finishing up mine. We're closing it up delivering it out this weekend but oh my god i can't wait to just breathe and then go to arizona so i'm very excited for that uh, we've got some stuff planned for arizona the podcast ain't going away well, just because we're on going on vacation we will be posting and and getting all of our stuff done there too so uh we will talk again on tuesday before our trip and then we will i can actually say i'll see you next week because i literally will yes and uh, good luck with the move thanks talk to you later you know